Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am once again privileged to be joined by Mr. Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I feel like we were just talking opening night on your podcast for the NFL round one of the draft. Yeah, and it uh, feels like a lot has happened, but it also feels like at the same time, Paul, uh, the larger part of our brain, like one part of our brain is paying attention to drip, drip, drip information we're getting and starting to cast and frame uh, these 2019 editions of these teams and players. But I'm still trying to absorb everything that happened in the draft. In some ways, I'm still absorbing free agency and coaching changes uh, because all of those things are being revealed a little more the dance of the seven veils a little more we're getting a peek into what these teams and players and what this combination is going to be and it's always man it's fascinating and especially when i get to talk to you yeah i mean it is amazing you brought up free agency there and and all this stuff it's amazing how much they really intertwine the coaching changes the free agency the nfl draft and I was talking to Matt Harmon on the most yeah. recent SS podcast. We were talking about there is no offseason anymore, no. not even remotely an offseason. There used to be a couple low periods and a couple dull periods in the NFL calendar. And and there really just isn't. There, it is now 24-7, 365, always a news cycle, always something to talk about, always something to analyze. And like you talked about, like I still feel like there's so many levels to try to dissect in this rookie class and how the NFL draft played out in, in terms of trying 
trying to transition to what we expect to see this season and right. in the long run moving forward because there's so many layers that that need to be discussed in, in, in such a deeper level and that I love having you on to talk about some of these issues and topics because I think we do a good job at really going deep when we have our conversation so let's let's get right into this okay let's go to the quarterback position mm-hmm. I know we talked a lot about him pre-draft but I know on your most recent on the couch episode, you were talking a lot about the Arizona Cardinals, about Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, that offense. Is there even a is there a ceiling to how good mm-hmm. and explosive Kyler Murray can be this year? Because I don't remember another rookie quarterback that has an excitement level in the fantasy circle mm-hmm. in terms of the the player, the dual threat ability, plus the coach, plus the scheme, plus the weapons they got him. Do you ever remember anything like this no. from the quarterback position? Not really. I mean, I think that Paul, I'm not sure how many of us are old enough to remember when it was okay and polite conversation to ask whether a black quarterback could ever win the Super Bowl. So you know, there was a time that that second dimension to the position was added and players like Michael Vick or Randall Cunningham um, redefined what uh, Cordell Stewart for a little bit there, redefined what was possible. And there was a lot more open-mindedness. And But now I think, Paul, what we have is it's a double layer of not just the kind of athlete and dual threat quarterback but the offense that is a call quote-unquote college offense without any restrictions without anything that takes it away from its pure conception as it was implemented at the college level so it's going to be hyper aggressive and i think it's going to be designed and i keep coming back to paul the the goo goo eyes between cliff kingsbury and uh kyler murray for years and years cliff kingsbury has a conception of an offense and he i think always had some sort of draw to the idea that Kyler Murray was the perfect quarterback to unlock what was possible in that offense. And then just how aggressively they went after getting these receivers. Um, I, I I think, and David Johnson is still a magnificent talent, a rare talent. I think Cliff Kingsbury has shown a track record that he's just going to look at what he has and feature what he has. David Johnson's a big part of what he has. I think defenses are going to take a year to catch up and do some of the things that college defenses are doing to slow down this offense so there's a a gap there where on a game-by-game basis paul to get to your question no there's not a ceiling especially because their defense is bad and patrick peterson is going to miss the first six games so we could getting in some college type scores with a college offense yeah, I mean it's going to be fascinating. And I if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I feel like when we talked last year after the yeah. draft and we had a conversation about Lamar Jackson and you were intrigued by his fantasy upside for obvious reasons we all were. And I remember having a conversation that I think you said you do you'd be okay for someone even in a one quarterback league to potentially think about Lamar Jackson maybe the back end of a dynasty rookie draft in round 1. Right. This year's draft class as we saw it play out I'm assuming Kyler Murray, you feel the same way. But my question is, we, we know in a, in a two quarterback or super flex, you probably should be going 1.01 in a one quarterback rookie draft in the dynasty setting. How high do you think it's acceptable? It's, it's okay yeah. to maybe push a Kyler Murray mm-hmm. up there based on his uniqueness. He's almost like a unicorn. Right, he is. Well, the in in the situation too, it's it's the alignment of the coach, the system, the commitment of the organization, and the player. And I think it's defensible, Paul, to take him number two. I think it's defensible. Uh, Josh Jacobs should be the number one, 
and I don't care what you think about Josh Jacobs, the player. He's got that opportunity to have the true workhorse back, and Gruden will rise backs into the ground. So that's good news for fantasy football. But then after that, it's wide open. You know, um, it, uh, you know, you could take Harry, you could take Sanders, you could take Montgomery, you could take Henderson. Yes, Henderson is obviously in that conversation now, and uh, Kyler Murray is because it's the hyper. It's not just that he's athletic. It's not just that he has this great arm talent. It's that he's going to be allowed to be hyper-aggressive as a runner and a passer. He's going to be set up to be a, an aggressive attacking mode and in game scripts that are likely to feature high-scoring games. So he could be a, a, a cheat, the Konami code, Rich Rebar. He could be, that's almost like cheating, even against... A, a, Patrick Mahomes could take a little step back, like kind of how it felt with Mahomes last year, where you got an unfair advantage from Mike, the Chip Kelly, Michael Vick. You remember that year that it was almost unfair. Quarterback doesn't matter, but when your quarterback scores on average six or seven points more than the next best quarterback, that matters a lot. Yeah, and and one final Kyler Murray question because he could yeah. be an hour podcast in his own right. It's sure. such a unique scenario, and you don't have to you don't have to give me a hard specific number because I'm not sure. sure you have these the, these uh, rankings uh, on you know on your website. How many other quarterbacks in a dynasty setting take out a rookie draft? Just dynasty yeah. whole team in, in perspective. How many? Because I know for me, I don't have a lot. How many? You know. Who are some of the names you definitively say, I'd rather have him on my dynasty team at the quarterback position than Kyler Murray? I mean, you just mentioned Patrick right. Mahomes. Like, oh, he's the man. obvious one. I mean, is it Andrew Luck? Is it Baker Mayfield? I mean, right. is it Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers? Or would you say, give me give me Kyler Murray and his limitless ceiling over a guy like Russell Wilson and Rodgers based on their age and stuff? Sure. No, I think, I think you're nailing it. Look, I have Kyler Murray as my number five quarterback for leagues this year. Uh, and and he can grow from there. And I think Andrew Luck, there's an argument maybe that Andrew Luck is worth more because of what's exciting about Indianapolis this year, Paul, is Andrew Luck didn't really have an offseason with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni and the, his teammates. You know, he was war- being eased back into things. Now you have a whole cycle and this offensive line is gelling. This whole team is gelling. So Indy's exciting, and luck could go to new heights. This team could go to new heights. Otherwise, poor Russell Wilson. I mean, if Russell Wilson was in a situation even halfway as good as Kyler Murray, you could put Russell Wilson at, at the helm of an air raid system, and he probably would be excellent. Now, okay, I would want that Russell Wilson over everyone except for maybe Patrick Mahomes, or maybe even over Mahomes once we saw it. But that's not happening with Wilson. So how much of the equation of a fantasy value of a player, short and long term, is the system and the range of outcomes that gives them further numbers? So I, I think it's absolutely, again, I'll use the word defensible, to have Kyler Murray as the number three dynasty quarterback. And Paul, this is how quickly things um, harden in our minds and then have to be broken down and, and rebuilt. You can picture a scenario where week three or week four of the season, Paul, all we're talking about is the Arizona offense and how when our defense is going to catch up and how is he doing it? How are they doing it? And who, which receiver is going to go off this week? It's not difficult to envision a scenario where it's the number one story of September. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be fascinating. You mentioned it before. We could see some college-like box scores in, in these games and not just on the Cardinal side, mm-hmm. on the other side. And you talked about it like, you know, like I, I don't get into DFS conversation on here, but they're going to be DFS plays 
of the teams going against the Cardinals because everything's going to be sped up. It's going to be opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're looking for people, you know, when you're making roster moves in your week to week, you know, you know, your head to head leagues, you might skew a little bit more towards a a backup that's playing in the game against the Cardinals, you know, in, 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 you know, daily leagues. I think, I think there's so many levels of the Cardinals, the offense, their opposition, they're going to be its own, you know, they should have somebody following this team year round because I think it's a fascinating story, you know, to, to a behind the scenes look. One other quarterback question, because I don't mm-hmm. think there's a lot of quarterback stuff. Actually, it's a two-part question. One, when do you think we're going to see Drew Locke? I'm just mm-hmm. curious if anything from you know all your time talking uh, to Cecil, if he yep. thinks it's going to be a whole year that he kind of waits in the wings or he, he sees a scenario where Locke could get on the field potentially the latter part of this year or the middle of this year, if it depends on how Flacco is successful. And then... I know you weren't a huge fan of Dwayne Haskins. You had some concerns about his release. You know, you comped him at times to a little bit in the mold of a Brian Leftwich in terms of that long release and delivery. Obviously, we had a lot of conversation about Daniel Jones on your podcast and on hours prior to it. Obviously, lands with the Giants. It is what it is now. So far, the report's pretty good here in New York. We'll wait to see when the bullets start flying, uh, you know, how he looks. How do you make sense of of ranking those two guys, a traditional pocket passing quarterback who right. you had some concerns about on a team that lacks playmakers, you know, compared to Jones, who none of us really bought into first round talent, something even by in the second round talent. That's where I was on him, but who has that mobility to maybe at least assist and get some extra stuff in the running game. Yeah. How do you how do you view those guys? Well, first on the Drew Locke Denver question. Um, you know, Cecil paints a picture that Locke's not close and that Drew Flacco is kind of a professional quarterback now that this team hasn't really had as a leader. So I'd say at least plan A is it's Flacco's year. You know, if the team's two and seven or something at one point, then maybe. But Vic Fangio is going to have that defense playing really well. And I don't expect Mike Munchak's going to firm up the offensive line. So I, I think Denver's going to be competitive and it's going to be Flacco's year. And that's what you want for Drew Locke. And the fact that he fell to the second round makes it easy for them to err on the side of keeping him on them. I mean, it's Paul, it's funny that it's just that simple for teams. Like first round pick, got to play him before his rookie year's over. Second round pick, we'll let him incubate. We'll, we'll let him develop. And uh, that'll be good for Drew Locke's game. Haskins versus Jones. From an NFL perspective, I still think it's easy. From a fantasy perspective, you mentioned Jones and his mobility, but I still think Jones is a quarterback that we project, Paul, the, say the 40% or even 50% and lower range of outcomes for him is he's not even a starter in four or five years, right? Like Bortles, you know, he like, so I don't even know if you want to invest in that Haskins, I think is a starting level NFL quarterback, but I'm really concerned about this Trent Williams situation and the Trent Williams situation. And as a giants fan, and I know it's not the best time to be a giants fan, but you're well aware of this. The Trent Williams situation is a symptom of larger issue of toxic organization. You know, what players are going to, overachieve are going to flourish are going to develop are going to be surrounded with a system and teammates that allow each other to flourish and grow in washington so neither of them are that encouraging right now uh i would say that honestly with the depth of the quarterback position it's hard to imagine a scenario where either of them break into the top 15 or 20 fantasy quarterbacks daniel jones may be on his running ability but again i still expect that we will see him this year maybe even week one i don't think that's impossible and he'll look overwhelmed and the whole giants offense will take a step back 
And I'm not even sure, Paul, we could get into a whole other discussion here. It's like, who's his quarterback? I mean, sorry, who's his coach in two or three years? Who's his GM? Do they even want him? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many right now. I mean, the Eagles are the <laughs> definition of stability, right. and, you and know, the Cowboys. Every, yeah, and and you know, I mean, the Cowboys. You know, they they're stable right now, but it, it always seems like they're one move away from Jerry Jones kind of blowing something sure. and doing something weird. You know, listen, Dallas has their own issues. I mean, we can get into that, but you know, for another day, another time. You know, they have some big decisions on on the horizon with with, with Prescott and and Cooper and and what their salaries are, and then eventually Elliott and his second year deal. So you know, all three of those guys are going to be looking to be in that you know eighteen to thirty million dollar range. Like it's going to be fascinating to kind of they're they're all kind of on top of each other or back to back to back. It, it, it's kind of interesting to see. You know, do they take care of any of them uh, or or what kind of happens? And then obviously they got, you know, some elite offensive linemen there that they'll have to deal with as well. So let's take this away from the quarterback position. Let's head to the running backs. You already mentioned Josh Jacobs, you know, that he is the clear guy. I'm right there with you. Gruden is going to get the most out of him. He's going to see a whole bunch of touches and be the focal point of that offense. Is he clearly your i haven't checked out your post draft bloom uh 100 is he at the top of your rookies or is there another player from a different position like Nikhil harry uh pushing over jacobs or is it for you is it clear no, jacobs it's clear jacobs and i loved jacobs going into the draft um i, I don't know if i had him at quite a number one right before the draft it was you know maybe between him and uh, I loved Hakeem Butler. I loved uh, DK Metcalf's potential, depending on where he landed. But now I think it's clear because, again, Gruden's going to ride him. Um, they have a solid interior offensive line, you know, replacing Clichio Semele. Uh, really, we never have maligned Gruden, at least as an offensive mind, or his for his offenses' inability to produce. They're productive offenses. Antonio Brown's going to help. Tyrell Williams is going to help. Jacobs, you know, I think the real interesting question about Jacobs is how high you rank him for redraft leagues. Because I find myself keep taking him in the third round. The third round of redraft leagues, you may see an AJ Green or Keenan Allen or player like that trickle through sometimes. That's exciting. If that doesn't happen, then you have all these running backs. Aaron Jones, maybe Damian Williams would fall there. Uh, Derrick Henry, um, you know, running backs that you can see the optimist glass half full, very exciting perspective. You can also see uh, Devonte Freeman. You know, you, you, there's a wide range of outcomes here. You can be optimistic or pessimistic about them, depending on what you're looking at. And I, I'm optimistic about Josh Jacobs, not just for the long haul, but for this year. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I did a I did a podcast last week. It was a very challenging exercise to rank the 2018 rookies as we uh, know them now, a year into the league versus the incoming 2019 rookies. Uh-huh. And I know I struggled with ranking running backs two through four. And I had a whole conversation on air about it. And I bounced the idea by a, a lot of people. Obviously, Saquon by himself. If you were ranking Josh Jacobs right now in relation for fantasy in the window, everyone's different. I, I tend to view running backs in a three-year window in Dynasty League. Some people even go year by year, some are right. even longer than that. If you were ranking right now Josh Jacobs and what we know about his landing spot to Nick Chubb, what we know about him with Kareem Hunt looming and on Johnson, when right. given the opportunity, looked great last year, but they're still pushing back saying maybe not a bell cow, but they want to be a heavy run team. So I'm, I'm not really sure how to make sense of that. If you were going to rank those three guys 
I struggled with it. I ended up going Jacobs, Johnson, Chubb, but I could understand anybody having Chubb the two. I could even mm-hmm. understand carry on Johnson the two. How would you kind of broach yeah. those three guys? Chubb, Jacobs, Johnson. And I, this is where I think um, Chubb is easy, easy number one. Because first of all, he was dominant at times last year. And the Cleveland offense could just blast through ceilings of what we could imagine. As long as the offensive line's okay. Because you have Todd Munkin, who made the Tampa Bay pass offensive juggernaut last year with much less quarterback play than Baker Mayfield. And you've added Odell Beckham. That's a you know all too well, Paul. You know, that, that, <laughs> that, that's a multiplying factor. I mean, the, I try to tell people, and you just as a quick aside, I try to say, look, no wide receiver tilted the field as much as Odell Beckham. Like the, the Giants with and without Beckham, two di- totally different teams, especially in terms of their competitiveness. And you add that element to a Browns offense that already has Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Rashard Higgins, Antonio Callaway. It's going to be a hyper-productive offense. And Nick Chubb is, even with Kareem Hunt there, Nick Chubb is still going to be the guy that's the focal point of the running game. He's fine in the passing game. And even if he and Kareem Hunt have to share, it's going to be a hyper-productive offense. And he's just he's proven, and the arrow is still pointing up. And then there's Jake, Jacobs versus Kieran Johnson. Kieran Johnson's another one in the third, fourth round of redraft leagues that you want to decide whether to take a stand on. I love what I saw from Kieran Johnson last year. On the plus side, he is in an offense that's committed to the run. But Detroit, again, I'm going to come back to this concept. Some organizations, Paul, and we're looking at this from a fancy perspective, don't instill confidence that the players are going to overachieve. Even in a run-heavy offense with Detroit, it's going to be a Daryl Bevel, unimaginative offense. Matthew Stafford's not impressing me that much. Uh, they're talking about doing three tight ends. Like I think they're just going to go backwards in terms of offensive creativity. And even though Carryon Johnson can get a lot of work in that offense, CJ Anderson's still there. I think they're going to. I think Patricia's going to be stubborn about a two-back backfield, or at least having a second back that can take significant volume because he wants to run the ball that much. And uh, it's. I just don't see his him flourishing. And then I look at Jacobs, who is a highly advanced passing down back, the uh, most of the three. Although Johnson's an underrated receiver. And he can do all the things as a between the tackles back. Uh, I, I just like the potential there more. So I would put Jacobs ahead. But I think Chubb is being underrated because the growth of the Cleveland offense isn't being factored into his value. Yeah, you're probably right there because he easily can be a guy who scores 12 to 16 touchdowns. 20. 20. <laughs> yeah, I mean. No, I mean, they're going to go. Remember what Tampa Bay was doing? They just had no run game. Now, imagine if Tampa had a run game last year and had someone just punching in the one-yard touchdowns, the three-yard touchdowns. They're going to be set up by pass interference on it. Antonio Callaway's playing the Deshaun Jackson role. It's a, and again, Baker Mayfield is going to be much more efficient than Winston or Fitzpatrick were. This is really exciting, and we talked about gushing about Arizona, but I think that we shouldn't think that this can't be, you know, Baker Mayfield could throw 40 touchdowns or this team could score 30 in the 30s every game. Yeah, and you know, you brought it up there about Odell Beckham and and the attention that he he just warrants when he's on the field and coverage shifting his way. Listen, I think anybody it would be delusional to think that Jarvis Landry is going to see the target share that he saw in the past. I think that's gone. But I think people are even selling and 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 too low on Jarvis Landry because yes. I think his efficiency 
could could see a spike. I think all of a sudden he is not even going to be remotely on the defensive you know game plan radar, and he's just going to be able to see a lot of single coverage. They're n- not their best defensive back, you know, maybe not even their second best defensive back, and he's still a really good player. I mean, people I think at times underappreciate how good of a player Jarvis Landry is because he's not a guy who makes a lot of big impact plays down the field. You know, he, you could kind of say, you know, in the mold of, you know, a possession receiver, Heinz Ward, physical, somebody like that. So I think in the world of fantasy that we all live in, he's not sexy because he's not making those 80 yard touchdowns or beating a guy vertically down the field on a regular basis. But I think he's going to be very underappreciated even right now. I know I've been trying to buy him up and some dynasty leagues because I saw his, you know, I think people are just down on him. And I, I think, I think there's enough to go around there. The guy I'm most concerned about in that, but again, another conversation another day, I, I'm a little more nervous about David Njoku being more inconsistent in week to week. Not that he's not going to have his moments, but I, I, I like what I, I've always liked Antonio Callaway from when he was in college. So I think he's going to have some splash games. Jarvis Landry, you already talked about the run game. Their offense buy stock in, in anywhere you can get in that Browns offense this year because I think that's going to be um, – they're going to be fun to own across the board. Real quick, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, they mm-hmm. seem to be – it seems to be very split in terms of, you know, everyone seems to have them grouped together. I know you had some concerns about David Montgomery pre-draft, you know, monotone, one, uh, you know, one speed type runner, where they landed, the draft capital, the roster construction where they're on – who do you prefer between those two, or is it margin of error very yeah. small? No, actually, it's separated greatly between Sanders and Montgomery. Uh, I think from a short-term redraft perspective, both are probably players I'm staying away from at their ADP because you had rookie exuberance. But when I look at each situation, I think that both of them are somewhat significant significantly blocked but for different reasons um miles sanders is already a little banged up so i think he's just gonna get a slow start and philly has shown a willingness to ease their rookies in like what they did with dallas goddard who's going to be a much bigger part of the offense this year i believe um potential breakout tight end there so i think with sanders a little banged up and jordan howard who's a professional right jordan howard behind that offensive line so the philly running game has they have a great offensive line. They haven't been able to harvest the value of that offensive line in the running game. They had it for JHI just for a short bit, but not really. Um, Jordan Howard, especially in the last year of his contract, why not get everything you can get out of him? And look at Philly is not, it's not going to be lost on Doug Peterson. What, the Rams and New England did last year going run heavy in today's NFL terms and how much that softens up a defense and sets up everything else to be uh, more effective and explosive. So I think that Jordan Howard's going to have a bigger season than Sanders this year, but next year it could be Sanders show because Sanders from a physical standpoint is above average in NFL terms. He can play all three downs and even though running back by committee is the model, they can get more out of Sanders than they can get out of any back they've had it, since his offense has really come alive. And again, the offensive line is the foundation of the success there. And hopefully Carson Wentz staying healthy. David Montgomery, you're right that it revolves more around the evaluation. He, I, I just, I, we were going to see where he landed, right? If he landed, say, in Houston, then I'd say I'd be much higher on him and be closer to Sanders because I could see him in a scenario where he's an every down back there. But when I think of him, with the Bears, Mike Davis is a solid running back. 
And uh, Paul, where were you on Mike Davis when he came out in the draft? Yeah, I thought he was a third, fourth round type talent. I thought, he, you know, if guys like, you know, yeah, I thought he was in that uh, in that mix. I'm forgetting right around him who his yeah. draft class was. But I thought he was one of those guys that could be on the third, fourth round bubble. I remember, I think it was the year before, there might have been a surprise name or two that came off the board in the third round that I said, well, if he's a third round guy or he's an early right. fourth round guy, that's kind of where I thought Mike Davis. And I remember hearing you talk about it. If he could have came out in the earlier of his right. collegiate Sophomore career. year. Yeah, he would have probably been a second round pick. A, a, a player, a running back that it wouldn't be outlandish to picture as a starting running back in the NFL, or at least a very significant contributor to a backfield. He he is a solid talent. And I think the Bears are going to use him, they're going to use Montgomery, and they're going to use Tariq Cohen. And the thing about Montgomery is, when you picture him in an NFL context, and look, we may disagree about the evaluation, and then if that's the case, then that's the real debate. But if I'm going forward, assuming the evaluation I have, which is, he's going to be honestly, I think it's a below average burst in terms of NFL runners, but adequate he maybe has an adequate initial burst has no second gear so he's not going to be a running back that adds a lot of value to touches that being said some backfields go forward with that kind of running back getting you know ben jarvis green ellis getting 200 or 250 carries but you have mike davis and you also have an offense that's going to use Tariq cohen a lot draven montgomery is a, a very good route runner a very good uh, passing game running back but he's not more dangerous than Tariq Cohen. And he's there are things you can do with Cohen that you can't do with Montgomery. Uh, and Mike Davis also has a formidable place in the running game. I mean, the passing game. Last thing here, Mike Davis held off Rashard Penny last year. So if you're thinking, well, Dave and Montgomery, third round pick, they're going to get him on the field. He held off a first round pick last year for touches. Even when Chris Carson was banged up, they, Davis was still a significant part of that backfield. So don't underestimate Davis. Uh, I think from a f- long-term standpoint, I don't ever see Montgomery standing out in that backfield. I do see Miles Sanders standing out next year, and he gets to benefit from a tremendous offense and offensive line. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I still have Sanders as my number two. That was pre-draft, mm-hmm. and that's post-draft. Long-term upside, the landing spot, I still like it. I do think if I was pressed to, say, for a redraft league, I think Montgomery probably ends up having more value in a redraft league than Miles Sanders, but I think long-term, I still like Sanders uh, in that regards. Darrell Henderson. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. You were going there. I was going to turn it around and you said we have to talk about Henderson. Go ahead. Absolutely. Darrell Henderson – I think he's now became the player that could arguably arguably be the most de- divisive in terms of the community, in terms of where he should go, how high he should go. And I think anybody's argument on both sides has merit because it usually comes with what the it usually comes with that person making a determination on Todd Gurley. And if you think Todd Gurley is never going to be the guy that we once saw, which I think probably is gone. But if we don't think he's going to be a 16 to 18 touch guy, then we're probably in the camp of Darrell Henderson should be a top five, top six rookie pick. If we, you know, if we think, you know, he could just be a handcuff part-time change of pace player, then probably second round. If you're saying, okay, they're just going to protect Gurley, but he's still going to get those 16 to 18 looks. Where do you kind of fall in that regards? How high are you willing to take Darrell Henderson in a rookie draft right now if you were drafting you know upcoming again two is defensible and probably i you know i think i have to do some soul searching i think i have henderson fifth right now 
but I may have to move him up to fourth. It may come down to like him versus Sanders and simulating if I'm on the clock and I was choosing between him and Sanders. I still actually really like DK Metcalf, even though it's a low volume pass offense, the Russell Williams targets. I think that makes up for it. But uh, the thing about Henderson is, and you're right, you're right, Paul. There's a big part of this question, which is uh, what do we think about Todd Gurley? And, and it's nebulous and it's very difficult. Like we're, we don't, we're peeking through keyholes. We can only interpret what we're getting or the absence of things. Uh, and even the team's action by taking Henderson, but let's try to simplify this, Paul. Okay. Because I should have been more, I think I had, I mean, I Hender, I had Henderson as a buy after the draft for dynasty. I think I had him seventh, eighth, ninth, something like that. And he was falling to the second round in some rookie drafts. So if you were following my rankings, hopefully you were drafting him, but I should have been more exuberant. Forget about the girly stuff. Okay. Just about Henderson. And here's why. And here's why it's easy to say he should be ahead of Sanders. Maybe he should be ahead of, of everybody except Jacobs. And within a year or two, the, with the Gurley variable, he could be ahead of Jacobs easily. So nobody in this in this fantasy rookie class, nobody has as high a ceiling at running back as Henderson. And then only maybe Kyler Murray has as high a ceiling just as a fantasy entity, considering all the surroundings. Because I, you liked Henderson, I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah, I liked Henderson. I mean, you, you saw something that translated. Ability to create chunk plays with the contact balance and getting low to win collisions and acceleration. Uh, that This is the kind of player. And remember the holes that C.J. Anderson was getting last year? Now imagine Daryl Henderson. When those wheels, he's gone! Yeah, and I'm, let me jump in real quick there. Yeah. What's so fascinating is when, when watching Darrell Henderson's college tape, I can't tell you how many times I made a note of, like, how was the hole so big? The only holes I ever saw bigger were, were Rashard Penny, who you mentioned before, in San Diego yeah. State. And it's like he – I would make notes like, okay, there's no way the holes are going to be that big at the NFL level. But then he goes to the one team right. that probably with their motion and their scheme creates some of the biggest gaping holes in the NFL. So he's going to see maybe not to the level he saw, you know, playing in the in the conference, you know, and the opponents he saw at Memphis. But he's going to see for an NFL level, arguably as big of a hole as he's, he's going to see based on everything that that Rams offense does with all the motion and confusion they create at times. Right. So it, it's a perfect marriage of talent and, and, you know, and landing spot and scheme to meet his, to, to maximize his skill set, yeah. so it's hard not to get excited. And exactly. and I remember talking to Matt Williamson; when he was a guest uh, here a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about he's even even if Todd Gurley's okay, right? Henderson still might get nine to eleven touches right. and still might be fantasy viable in the meantime as like a running back three. So right. if if that's the worst case scenario right now, and Gurley still has some quality years left in him. That's okay too. And then you're still set up for the long run with him. So there's lots of layers of even if Gurley's okay, he's probably never going back to the 20 to 20, you know, 20 to 26 touches every single week guy. That's probably gone, even if he's okay. So I think there's a scenario where Henderson, even in nine to 12 touches, could be very effective. And if it's ever more than that, well, then the sky's the limit, like you were talking about. There is no limit in terms of how high a ceiling could be. And that's what makes it so exciting. like you said, uh, and this is what I'm saying. I was trying to simplify it. Okay, you know who else had a running back with him who had some good years left when he was drafted? Alvin Kamara. Mark Ingram had some good years left, and you saw also how the Kamara, as soon as he showed what he could do, more of the offense gravitated him. And Henderson's going to get to show what he can do. So 
let's simplify this. A really great talent landed in a really great offense. So, I mean, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, the only thing I could even I do I do feel like sometimes in the fantasy community people get really stuck on what the depth chart looks like and the ability not to be the guy right. at their position immediately. And I know I know myself and and Matt here, we had we pushed back a lot last year on people that wanted to a first got down on Calvin Ridley after his so-so combine. And then two, after he got drafted by the Falcons, because people were like, Oh, but Julio Jones is there. Like we've seen teams have two productive wide receivers. He didn't have to deal with the number one defensive backs, the defense's attention. It's okay. Sometimes not to be the guy on the depth chart at your position, especially when you land in a really good offense, a good scheme and a good setup. And I think that's what you're just talking about. We saw it with Kamara. We saw it now it's with Henderson. We saw it last year with Calvin Ridley. The success he had last year was part his skill set and also part, obviously teams paying so much attention to Julio Jones. It opened up everything else. So Henderson, you know, like you said, you can simplify it down and and not worry about so much about Todd Gurley and all that. He's going to find his way on the field. He's going to be successful. He's in. It's in a perfect landing. Spot. And success breeds success, right? Like, yeah. Even if it's in a smaller role in the early part of his career, it's going to build confidence. It's going to create synergy between the scheme and the play design and his teammates. Like it's good. It's going to be good, good, good. It's why even JJ Arthega, <laughs> Whiteside, uh, I'm having to thaw and and warm to. Because even though I, a la David Montgomery, I was sort of lukewarm about his talent. It's the situation. It's the organization. It's the ability to, when we look at the career path, range of outcomes, it's still very wide for all of these players. And you first and foremost, okay, so Paul, what's the show about? It's great to see you again always because we talk before the draft, we talk during the draft, and we talk after the draft. And we frame things and we talk about what players are worth for fantasy football or if we're uh, optimistic or pessimistic about their NFL career based on things we learn about them when we're not picturing them in a specific uniform and situation before the draft. And we rank them and do all these exercises and things like that. And then we learn where they land. And part of learning where they land is what the team paid for them. And that's, that's predictive in a way. I mean, it's at least predictive for the first year or two of their career. Once they get to year three, we should probably just forget where they were drafted, honestly, and just look at how they played in the NFL to this point and how the team has treated them. But we also have which organization they landed in. And really, especially when we talk about fit and we talk about the, the track record of the organization and the track record at their position, we can say, here's that range of outcomes. We do our pre-draft work, so that range of outcomes is like this wide, right? Okay, some organizations, the good organizations, are going to push more of the upper. Like this is Now we have a lot higher chance of getting best case outcomes because it's a good place for that player. And there's some organizations, you know, this is not a good situation for them. And that should first and foremost be how it changes our view of the player, Um, not the immediate depth chart, as you said, because talent creates opportunity. And that is what, you know, there's all these different alternate universes, possible outcomes for these players' careers. And what we learned that night of the draft I think the easiest thing, the low-hanging fruit is who just landed in a place that knows how to get the best football out of their players. And the Rams obviously do. The Eagles do. Um, I I think that even though the Seahawks aren't a great um, 
imaginative offense, there's still an organization where players are exceeding the highest, like the players they've been bringing in are hitting their top level outcomes. So you'd like Metcalf and to a lesser extent, Gary Jennings. You want your players to land in successful organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And two last running backs before we head to yeah. the pass catchers. And it's the perfect segue of what you just said about landing spots, about having a structure to get the most out of your players. The New, New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens are, are two of the most successful franchises in, in what, the last 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, whatever time frame we want to put on it. Both of them invest in a running back, one in the third round, one in the fourth round. News today, Sony Michelle had a little bit of procedure, not stunning. He had been missing. So obviously that they said it's, you know, it's minor. Okay. There always seems to be something lingering with Sony Michelle in terms of injury concerns. So Damian Harris, intriguing there. Also, obviously, the connection Belichick to Saban, I think, is something that people should take a little serious that he invested in that. He probably got the stamp of approval from from Nick Saban on that one. And then the guy who I keep coming back to, and it's not an apples for apples comparison, but when, when someone says who could be this year's Philip Lindsay, I just look at it as a guy we're not expecting to be an impactful fantasy player who's off the great, off the grid, off the radar, not a guy who, you know, who we expect to to, to be an impact player. I keep coming back to Justice Hill. I know he's not a UDFA, Mm -hmm. but I look at Justice Hill and I think to myself, Mark Ingram is going to be very successful too, but there's more than enough touches in that ground game in Baltimore to, for another guy to be productive, similar to the saints, you know, when Ingram was there, obviously. And I think I look at Justice Hill and I see a guy who I think he's going to get on when he gets on the field, he's going to make things happen. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to take him off as much as they yeah, want if right. he starts making chunk plays. And with the threat of Lamar Jackson, it could really open up some rushing lanes for a guy like Justice Hill to even maximize that more than a guy like Mark Ingram in a different capacity. That I'm excited about both those guys. Mm-hmm. They have the, the team mindset of teams. No, these teams get the most out of their guys, find success stories. And I think it's a perfect marriage, I think, of these two players to, this, to, the, to the teams that they were drafted by. But I also think there's opportunity there, whether it's Sony Michelle and the concerns we have with him. And I think Justice Hill, I think, could see more work than Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon. I think he could push those guys to the back burner there and be the guy that runs along there with Mark Ingram. And I think there's plenty of, plenty of touches to go around. Oh, absolutely, right. It's going to be a really run-heavy offense. So these are both players that because of where they landed absolutely gained value went up on my board um we'll take harris first i'm more excited about harris short term like one two year than long term four to six year because again a lot of david montgomery when i watched damian harris i saw a kind of a monotone runner but a powerful runner and certainly someone who's competent in all aspects of the game he's a good you know again this is the organization like ben jarvis green ellis you know so I, i think he's competent he's super competent and it's a good for productivity or a backfield for fantasy so he can harvest that value sony michelle they just said oh by the way he had a knee scope oh okay another knee scope so it isn't like with sony michelle i think it's it's kind of like the girly situation you know you're looking at his future and you're wondering how much do you dim his prospects knowing that these knee issues uh, may be something that linger or persist uh so damian harris you still have James White, Rex Burkhead, and they'll bring in another back next year. And you know they'll keep cycling through that talent, not necessarily get 
uh, stellar, bright talents, but very competent talents for the roles that they give them. So I like Harris more as a player for this year, next year, but I don't think he's ever going to establish himself as one of like the 25 best backs in the league. Maybe for fantasy he will because of the Patriots, but I, I think he's, in the NFL terms, kind of a mediocre talent. Justice Hill stands out more. You know, He looked like, if you're talking initial bursts, in this year's class, Paul, it was Henderson and Hill, basically. Like, if you like, here's an exercise. Here, here, and by the way, on this note, we can both use our platforms for this, Paul. I know it sounds like a lot of the cut up people doing cut ups, whether it's compensation or having source material. Um, I saw a thread going around about this, or maybe like hanging it up for 2019 um, and turn into the 2020 draft. So, we that is like the lifeblood of a lot of our analysis. So, hopefully, we can as a community pull together and find a way to make that happen. And one of the things we could do, Paul, like imagine taking something where we divided the screen up into like 12 boxes or eight boxes. And you just had all of these running back prospects and you synced up the play. So they all got the ball in their hands at the same time on the same play, like behind the same kind of blocking. And you could just watch that initial burst in real time. You know, you'd see it. You, it's this is why the all-star games and the combine can be valuable especially if you're down at field level, because you'll just see one after another, the players do things, the same things and kind of by osmosis, your brain will just say, well, that guy's first step is faster than that. You know, significantly faster. You see the explosion and man, the explosion from justice Hill was apparent watching him against the background of all these other backs. And like you said, you have Greg Roman, you have Lamar Jackson, you have a run heavy offense. You have something that should distort the defense. You know, we were, I was watching the Kansas city Baltimore game from last year. Again, I go back and watch game, some of the good games from last year, again, to refresh my memories. And uh, they were just manhandling Kansas city. Baltimore was just pushing them down the field. And much like we're talking about Daryl Henderson, you give justice Hill that running start attacking those defenses on their heels now you've got something. So I think you're absolutely right. I think maybe I was a little, I should be more bullish on him long-term than Harris. Uh, maybe slightly, uh, you know, Hill's probably underrated across the board. Harris, everyone's going to be catching up on because of the latest news on Sonny Michelle. But, uh, you know, both of these teams use their running back picks well. Those, those mid-round picks, contributors who add an element, uh, th- those are smart investments, and these teams are smart too. Yeah, I mean, when you think back to last year, I think everybody was caught off guard by the Patriots drafting Sony Michelle, and I feel like it just continues to be a little bit of something that's like, wow, they invested a first round pick. The way they play and the style in which they play, the the versatility they have from their running backs and the specialized roles, it's still that still goes that still shocks me when I think back to 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 that draft and then when you see them invest a third round pick this year and just kind of that rotating process of using you know using a lot of different running backs in a lot of different ways it still makes me it still surprises me and Tony Michelle at times was very effective last year when he was on the field so he's a very good running back it just seems the way the Patriots play it still surprises me that it was them that pulled the trigger on that uh you know and now you know hopefully he's healthy I think he's a better player than Damian Harris pre-draft talent. You know, if I was comparing the two, it's much more in Tony Michelle's favor. I think Damian Harris is, 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 is a guy who's solid at everything. Not really, doesn't really have that elite calling card or trait that I tend to look for. I do think Justice Hill has that though, in that explosion and burst, he's never going to be a guy that can handle, you know, a heavy workload but I don't think he needs it. You give him 12 touches. If it's nine or 10 rushes and a couple of receptions, 
in that offense, in, in what the defense has to account for with Lamar Jackson, those could be high impact and, and impactful touches that, you know, all touches aren't created equal. Right, and I think right. Justin Hill is going to be that guy that really we kind of see that with. Um, so I'm excited about him. Hopefully, and, you know, he gets an opportunity sooner rather than later. Atlanta, like Atlanta, Tevin Coleman, but better yes. than Tevin Coleman and more productive. All, really quickly on the note of, of Belichick taking Damian Harris. Here, here's how I think you get there, Paul, is last year uh, Jeremy Hill goes down. Rex Burkhead goes down and then Sony Michelle starts missing time and he's having to give snaps to Kenyon Barner. You know, he's having to totally distort his offense with just basically James White out there. And he didn't want that to happen again. He doesn't want to be put in that position again. And Damian, Damian Harris very cheaply ensures that that won't happen again. As far as the Michelle pick, and this is our transition. I'm doing the segue for you. Uh, <laughs> um, it, taking kill Harry in the first round. I almost feel like with the first round pick, the Patriots and Michelle, like, it's just these are picks that we look back and we say they could have got something similar, not as expensive. And uh, I, I think that that doesn't necessarily take anything away from Michelle or Harry, but I think the nature of their team structure is they can get like Trey Flowers, what, a third or fourth round pick, right? I think maybe a fourth round pick. Uh, so it's just the nature of the organization. Just don't give Bill Belichick first round picks unless it's like, Jared Mayo, who's back with the team now as a, a linebacker coach. Let them keep trading down and just stacking up these second, third, fourth round picks and getting championships out of them. Yeah, I mean, and and then the kill Harry thing, you know, it's such an interesting thing because I think I had him at like number five or number six pre-draft. Obviously, yeah. the landing spot, you know, in the draft capital, I should say, you know, and some of the other guys, you know, a lot of uncertainty at the wide receiver position. I think Nikhil Harry is one of the hardest players to figure out. And I know pe- there are some people that are all in on him, think he should be the first rookie pick taken. Uh, obviously, we've talked about, you know, Jacobs and our love for him that we're not there. But the thing that I think is is most fascinating in terms of discussing Harry is I can make a case that I don't know if his it's, – it's such a weird thing to say, and I've said this a bunch. I don't know if his best production is going to come with the greatest quarterback arguably in the history of the NFL and Tom Brady because Tom Brady has never been a quarterback that has just kind of thrown the ball up to his receivers to make a play. I mean, maybe the the, the elite year or two with Randy Moss and at times with Rob Gronkowski, but he knew Rob Gronkowski had a distinct big-time mismatch and advantage over whoever was covering him. He knew Randy Moss had a, you know, his athletic capabilities was, you know, you can make the case, was unmatched by almost any player in the history of the game. We're talking about two of the all-time greats. He's not really a guy that just throws the ball up and lets his receiver, you know, make a play on it. He usually likes to see them open or throw them open, you know, and looks for those precision route runners, which is why he loves the usage of the running backs and the slot receivers. So, are they going to use Harry at times inside? I've had conversations that say, are they going to use him almost detached as like a move tight end, like in an Aaron Hernandez role? I don't know exactly their plan from Nikhil Harry. I don't know how quickly he's going to transition to an offense that has notoriously been known to rookie receivers to struggle to learn the playbook, to gain right. Tom Brady's trust. Right, right, yeah. So it's like there's a lot of opportunity there for sure. But is Tom Brady going to look to him to fill that opportunity and fill that void? Or are we thinking, are we talking that Nikhil Harry's best production could come whenever Tom Brady decides right. to call the quits in a very weird way? It sounds almost lunacy to say, yeah, when Tom Brady, one of the greatest ever leaves and we have no idea who's even going to replace him, that might be when Nikhil Harry has his best statistical years. I Well, sure, because it's just going to take time and Brady might not even be around by then. But also Brady's not the same. I, I 
I'm as you say, I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm right there with you on the instant analysis of Harry in a Patriots uniform and fitting in with his offense. Now, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth in a way, sort of. I mean, just because the Patriots are a good organization and it's a good offense and there's opportunity there. So that should put Harry in the upper half of his range of outcomes. But this also is an organization that has had problems identifying wide receivers, college wide receivers, and Belichick himself has even addressed it and said, yes, we evaluate pro receivers better than college receivers. And the success stories, you know, Julian Edelman was a conversion. Malcolm Mitchell was kind of a success story, but he's more like Deontay Johnson or Michael Hardman or, you know, um, Terry McLaurin, even like more of a quick, fast separation creator, not someone who wins contested balls, not someone who, you know, Harry's other main strength is run after catch. Okay. You can set up contest. uh, You can set up to manufacture touches like they did for Cordell Patterson. Okay, that's fine. You're not taking Cordero Patterson. Well, Minnesota took Cordero Patterson in the first round, so maybe I shouldn't say that. You are taking Cordero Patterson in the first round, actually, even though you find out in the pros that he might not be worth that. But I, I, I agree with you. The instant analysis is, when I think of players that flourish with Tom Brady, Harry's not that kind of player. I know Josh Gordon, he was easing in. But again, it's Josh Gordon. I mean, these are like stellar talents. Now, this is where the evaluation comes in, Paul, because... If your evaluation, like me and you, I think I had Harry around the same thing, like wide receiver five or six, then you're you're not saying he's going to be higher than that based on this fit. But if you already had Harry wide receiver one, and you just take the most simplistic view of, hey, the Patriots spent that pick on him, they're going, they're not, they're not distorting what he is. They're going to be rational. They're going to use him with manufactured touches with contested balls, and he's going to flourish because he's a badass. You know, he's a badass at the catch point. He's a badass after the catch. He's not great at releases. He's not great at route running. He's not great at creating separation. If they ask him to do things that hinge on those things, it's not going to look good. Now, he may learn those things. He may develop that part of his game. If he does that, but by that time, Tom Brady's retired. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be so exciting to kind of see their plan for him because, you know, there's been a lot out there. I think they were very excited for him uh, to get him. So, you know, I, I imagine a scenario where they have a role plan for him. I know on your most recent uh, On the Couch podcast, the – in the backdrop is the whole Josh Gordon situation. Right. And do we see Josh Gordon again? Do we see him in the Patriots? You know, that could even have an impact in terms and Demarius of Demarius Thomas too. just throwing that. Yeah. Out. So, so there's other guys there, you know, they just re up Julian Edelman. So he's not going away for a while. And he's one of those guys, if you kind of, you know, you, if, if he's on the roster and he's on the field, he's probably going to be Tom Brady's guy that he's always targeting in terms of, you know, racking up receptions, you know, just because he trusts them and, you know, good route runner and, and all that stuff. Very tough physical player for a guy his size, Julian Edelman as well. So the, the Patriots and, and how they, you know, replace Gronkowski and, and, and get production from that receivers, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that shapes up. So let's do a little bit of rapid fire here. We're closing in on an hour already. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm long-winded. <laughs> no, I, I love every minute of it. Favorite, not favorite in terms of pure talent. Sure. Opportunity, value. Which of the Baltimore receivers are you most excited about in terms of the fantasy landscape? You could take it short-term, long-term, yeah. whatever you prefer. And then same thing with Arizona because they couldn't be more oh, different. Yeah. Marquise Brown to Miles Boykin right. couldn't be more different players in terms of their stature, their size, all that stuff. Andy yeah. Isabella, Hakeem Butler couldn't be more different in terms of, you know, stylistically. 
of those teams are you more excited about in terms of their value or long term? Right. Marquise Brown, I mean, they're all cheap, right? Because uh, the Patriots, uh, sorry, the Ravens pass offense was so anemic last year. Brown is cheaper than he should be, wide receiver one. Also, somebody who can create inside, outside, short game, long game. Uh, again, you're projecting growth of this offense, growth of Lamar Jackson, the passer. But let's remember, by the way, that Tyrod Taylor and Colin Kaepernick were just fine as passers under Greg Roman. And, and uh, not, I mean, enough to create fantasy value for their top receiver, at least. And Miles Boykin could be a top receiver, although I'm not sure that he presents the same uh, upside as Brown in this offense with Brown out there and Mark Andrews, who I think is going to continue to grow. So maybe he has, you have a little pe- more pessimistic view of him. I just want to mention Antoine Wesley, too, who was undrafted. I, and they took Jimmy Little Scott, Jaleel Scott fourth round last year, I think. And Wesley's better than Scott. So I'm I'm not going to forget about him. Um, I want Hakeem Butler in Arizona. I think that Hakeem Butler, he's, Paul, tell me if you think this matters. He's Kyler Murray's roommate. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it does. And Kyler Murray saying, I have never had someone like him to throw the ball to. Yeah, I mean, again, people want to attach too much of that fourth round pick to him. But I mean, listen, guys fall for a variety of reasons. He could have been a, you know, early third round value on their board or a late second round pick that just happened to still be sitting there. You know, so I I, I think sometimes people, the draft capital, I, I, I'm at the forefront of saying it matters in terms of opportunity and leash and all that stuff. But sometimes... It doesn't. And this could end up being one of those times that I think people are putting too much stock into that and it, they shouldn't be. Yeah, well, and I just I think that this offense is going to give him a chance. Like if, if he's not great at the finer points, the offense is giving him a chance where it won't matter as much. Isabella, I think, landed in a good spot for Isabella. I still have more concerns about the finer points of his game, too. And again, I'm going to say don't forget about Keyshawn Johnson. They like Keyshawn Johnson a lot, and he's the best route runner. He's the most refined. He's the most advanced of this group, even though athletically he's the most ordinary. Yeah, and and I've been I've been telling anyone who will listen that I'm all in on Christian Kirk this year. I think people are sleeping on him a little bit because of all the other receivers they drafted. So I think some people are looking at it the opposite way and, and looking at it as maybe a slight on Christian Kirk. And I've been using that anywhere I could to try to see if I can get my hands on Christian Kirk yeah. because he's already a year into the NFL. He's a very good route runner. He's a perfect slot receiver for what Cliff Kingsbury wants to do there. Slot receivers have often been very effective in Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense. Yeah. I think I think Christian Kirk is the guy who we're going to see lead that team this year in terms of the receptions, the targets, the yards, you know, touchdowns, probably, you know, maybe not. There's a variety of ways that can go in terms of the touchdowns in terms of the pass catchers. So I think it's, I think it's fascinating to, to talk all about those Arizona guys, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, because I think you're right. I think people are even sleeping on Keyshawn Johnson and, and and I don't think they should be. I'm going to sneak in one more quick wide receiver question. Who are you more excited about? Paris Campbell, Nicole Hardman, two Blazers. Right now, the Tyreek Hill thing seems to be a little bit of a cloud right. over Nicole Hardman because we're not really sure. You know, I think people were – Nicole Hardman started out as a guy right around the draft time that people were like, okay, you know, he, he went to a great landing spot. Then it seemed like maybe Tyreek Hill was never going to play football again. He got pushed into the first round. Now Tyreek Hill might be coming, you know, might be a guy who is back this year. But I was just talking about Harmon on the previous episode here that 
okay, do we think long-term the Chiefs are going to give Terry Kill that monster contract that they were talking? Probably not. You know, it, it's going to be a lot different than maybe what they were talking before. So maybe the Tyree Kill cloud over Nicole Harmon, maybe that's an opportunity for Nicole Harmon to slide a little bit. And I'm still in on Nicole Harmon's talent, but I also like Paris Campbell a lot right. too. Right. I, I think short term, um, with the whole suspension, there'll be a Hill suspension. Hardman is the choice. So Hardman's the choice just because he's going to be in that role, I think, to begin the season. Uh, Campbell, uh, you can make an argument for Campbell longer term. I mean, they both landed with tremendous quarterbacks too. Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck. Uh, And they landed in places with good offensive coaching staffs too. The difference of where I would separate them, and I think I liked Hardman more than Campbell before the draft. I I really thought Hardman offered a lot of what Marquise Brown offered. And he he has... uh, higher ceiling well what's great about both of these guys is Campbell wasn't really used a lot as a downfield receiver has to develop the route tree but has that competitiveness and toughness and to unlock more of that speed Hardman was what he was playing defensive back a couple of years ago right yep so he's still in the early embryonic part of his development as a receiver uh the separating factor long term from a production standpoint to me would be Kansas City's offense is going to run through a handful of players I think Indy's offense is going to run through eight or nine players uh, and the tight ends are going to be a big role, and there's still T.Y. Hilton, and there's still, of course, the running game. And then you also had Chris Ballard talking about next year's wide receiver class. So don't be surprised if they dip into next year's wide receiver class, and he's joined by another tremendous talent coming down the line. So uh, either way, Hardman gets to develop in an offense that focuses on generally three or four players with Patrick Mahomes, and he has uh, arguably a higher ceiling because he's newer to the position. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, I had Nicole Harmon as like number eight or number nine pre-draft, which was pretty high, you know, you know, in the pre-draft circle. But I think the opportunity that that's there for him. And even if Tyree Kill does play this year, I mean, Nicole Harmon is going to make splash plays there. Sammy Watkins still struggles to stay healthy at times. And Andy Reid's going to maximize the skill set of a guy that offers such a uniqueness in terms of that, you know, speed and burst and explosion. Uh, it's going to be fun to kind of watch him grow and develop there alongside you know how great of a player and the greatness of Patrick Mahomes so excited to see where that goes final part final portion of the night we'll go speed round here at the tight ends I don't yeah, want to leave them out completely. I really need to get faster on that I apologize no not at all this is, this is we can go we can go two and a half hours every time if I didn't have my upstairs uh that uh I needed to run out and go get him something for right I wouldn't even be going speed round uh Speed around, I feel like the tight ends are really broken down into three groups. You got the Hawkinson Fant, you got the Irv Smith Jr. and Sternberger, which maybe Irv Smith doesn't belong there anymore right. with the Kyle Rudolph thing. But that's that's been the consensus that Irv Smith and Sternberger have kind of been grouped together as tier two. And then tier three was the round three guys, Kahale Warren, Dawson Knox, Josh Oliver. Mm-hmm. Give me a name from each tier that you prefer more, Hawkinson or Fant, Smith right. or Sternberger, and then one of those guys from the third round. So I'm just going to say none of the above for Hawkinson and Fan. To be okay. <laughs> well, just be, because I think Hawkinson is going to be used as a blocker a lot, and I think Fant, while he's got a lot of upside, I just when I think Joe Flacco, we'll see about Rich Cangarello. Joe Flacco, I'm not a big fan of Drew Locke. I just don't see this as a great place for him to land offensively or develop. It might be again. Jared Cook was my comparison, where later on in his career we see him start to scratch the surface of his potential but not in this specific situation second tier sternberger 
And I know uh, Aaron Rodgers never made a fantasy tight end, you know, a massive thing, but Sternberger can rip the seam. This is an offense, hopefully, that uh, Rodgers will be reined in a little bit, or at least the quarterback, uh, the coach will actually get the respect of the quarterback, and the, what the coach adds will make things easier for him. And some of that will be using Sternberger looks fantastic as exactly the kind. Look, I would say, Paul, strictly from the fantasy lens, Sternberger, Fant, and Hawkinson weren't that far apart as far as having the stuff that matters in fantasy football for tight ends. And Sternberger, uh, you know, still developing. Um, out of the third group, I would probably say Waring because it's Deshaun Watson. Whose targets do you want? Do you want Foles targets? Do you want Josh Allen targets? Or do you want Deshaun Watson targets? That, that seems pretty decisive to me. Although Dawson Knox is getting early opportunity, hyper-athletic. Dawson Knox is, you know, arguably as athletic as anyone in this class outside of Fant. And uh, Waring also is new-ish to, the, to football, and focusing on football. So there's some untapped potential there. Oliver actually is a pure receiving talent. Nick Foles can feed him, and he may have the most initial success in the first years two out of this tier but i think warring developing with watson is the most exciting yeah i'm right there with you i do have kahal warring higher than dawson and josh oliver one interesting thing i mentioned the exercise i did last week ranking the 2018 rookies as they are now versus the 2019 incoming guys and and something that I struggled with and, and I ended up taking the safe approach, but I really didn't want to. And push comes to shove, you know, in, in, a, in a league, I might think differently. Is it crazy in your opinion to, in a dynasty setting, be more excited about Dallas Goddard, even though we got to wait on him to no offense? No, no. Oh, you just gave me an idea of a trade. I have no fan in one of my leagues, and I've, I don't. I want to move him. You just gave me a great idea, Paul. I'll get back to you and let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, definitely do because I just traded for Dallas Goddard in a league also, and I, I utilized the the long term waiting out on him mm-hmm. for someone who looked for more immediate, and I was able to flip flop draft picks and Chris Herndon, but get back mm-hmm. Dallas Goddard. No, Goddard. That, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Um, you know, it's Goddard, like everything is positive outside of Philly. I want to say that, you know, he's going to be utilized more. I think, again, when we start to see what Goddard can do, he can do more than Ertz. I mean, Ertz is so reliable. All right. I don't want to besmirch Ertz, but Goddard can make more of a vertical element. Goddard can win more above the rim. Goddard can be a bigger factor in the red zone. And he's a good organization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so absolutely, I don't think that's crazy. And I think Goddard and Mark Andrews are going to be tight ends that both in redraft and dynasty terms, we will be looking at differently very soon. And people are just not, you know, they're just not looking at what Andrews and Goddard did as a year one at a position that is a slow developing position and understand the arcs, the career arcs that both of those players are on now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now's the time to try to get Goddard because he, he, is he going to be a consistent tight end one this year? No. He's going to have some tight end one weeks, I think, for sure. And they're going to do more two tight ends as their base set. So I think we're going to see more production out of Goddard. But I think this might be the time right now because if he gets more time this year, he might only catch 35 or 40 passes. But I wouldn't be stunned if he catches eight touchdowns this year. Like, you know, it, it's it's not 
probably the most lo- likely thing that's going to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised. I think that I think his talent is re- is is someone that could be a really special guy. And when the opportunity eventually comes, if in a year or two or three years they move on from Zach Ertz, I think Goddard has potential to be in that top five fantasy yeah. production tight yeah. end mix. The guys we get super excited for yep. the Kelseys, the Kittles, you know those type of guys. You know, like right now is you know hopefully nothing happens to him. But if something happened to Zach Ertz right now, all right, right. I think Dallas, I, I think you can make the case Dallas got to be the fourth tight end taken right. fantasy football. And I don't think it's unreasonable to take him ahead of guys like Evan Ingram and Hunter Henry. And, you know, I think he's right there with O.J. Howard in terms of upside this year if something was to happen to Zach Ertz tomorrow. So I think the sky is really high. The ceiling is really high on that and the sky's the limit for him. And personally, I think I'm more excited for Dallas Goddard long-term than a guy like even Noah Fans. So yeah. I thought it was an interesting conversation uh, to bring up to hear your take on it. Sigmund, this is, as always, an absolute blast. I feel like an hour and five, hour and ten minutes goes by in a nanosecond when we're breaking these things down. Thank you so much, as always, for coming on the show. Please let the audience know what you guys are working yeah. on over at Football Guys. Tell me t- – let the, my audience know a little bit about that the app this year is yes. now all inclusive. That's right. amazing. Let everybody know what's going on there at Football Guys. Anything you want to share? Yeah, the, the, the app, the, the draft automator is free now. Um, so give it a chance. Uh, we'd over deliver at Football Guys. That's what we're about, basically. Um, if we ask you for something, we'll give you back a lot more than what we're asking for. So the Audible's still going uh, uh, on the couch and. Thursday night show, but also once we get to the training camp, training camp preseason watch list, everything's going to pick up. Uh, and then any number of other things, DFS, fantasy, we've got all your fantasy needs covered. Dynasty, IDP, at Football Guys. And it's always great to talk to you, Paul. And just all these points on the calendar that we meet and the great work that you and, and Matt do, uh, it's, it's fun. Uh, and this is like next year at this time, Paul, all we're going to be talking about is work stoppage. Whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like the shadow. Um, and we talked about the shadow of hurricane season uh, here in New Orleans, but that shadow will be there. So for now, we're still sunny and it's great to talk football. Absolutely. I know Matt feels the same way. The relationships that we've built over the years with so many people in the industry, including yourself and Matt Wallman and so many others, it's really what makes this as fun and as exciting and keeps the passion going, all the different perspectives. Uh, It's an absolute blast. So thank you, as always, uh, for coming on. Guys, make sure you're checking out all the stuff over at Football Guys. I love that app. It's always been one of my favorite apps to use for, you know, prepping for my drafts, for, you know, doing uh, mock drafts and getting ready and having it open there uh, for all my drafts as well. So make sure you definitely check it out. Get over to the website uh, as well. A lot of great content there. So on behalf of Sigmund Bloom, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.